Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. First of all, Happy New Year. Hope your holidays were good. Last year, one of our most listened to episodes focused on the best music you didn't hear in 2021. And I think we're gonna make it an annual tradition. Today, I have part one of a look at some of the best music you probably didn't hear in 2022. We'll be doing more genres going forward probably next week, but today we're going through country and Americana, Afropop, and metal. Needless to say, a very wide-ranging episode today. I learned a lot from going through our lists and talking to my colleagues, and hopefully you will too. There's a great list on rollingstone.com of the 25 best country Americana albums of 2022. And to talk about some of his favorites from that list, I have with us Joseph Hudak. Hello. Hey, hey, Brian. Your first selection on the list is number 23, Melissa Carper, Ramblin' Soul. The stuff I listen to from this album has almost a 50s Western swing vibe to it. Absolutely, yeah. This is vintage, retro-sounding folk and country music. A lot of times, artists shy away from that tag, retro or vintage, right? Throwback. Melissa Carper fully leans into it, and she does it with great aplomb. She's 50 years old, so she is looking back on some stuff that she heard when she was younger and then incorporating it for today. I think a great song to listen to that would be the rockabilly-sounding 1980 Dodge van. 1980 Dodge van was my very first car. I drove around. That was one of my favorites on here, and she also does a cover of Odetta's Hit or Miss. Which is really good, too. Yeah, I highly recommend this record. This is brought to me by Jonathan Bernstein, one of our contributors at Rolling Stone Country. Number 21 is a really interesting band, 49 Winchester, Fortune Favors the Bold. And I like what I heard of this. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. 49 Winchester, they were named after the street, I believe, on which they used to jam and and grew up on in Virginia. I think that was the address, 49 Winchester. But this is a really good album. Yeah, Rolling Stone called them the buzziest of country buzz bands. Singer Isaac Gibson is very much like a Chris Stapleton type figure. They're very country soul. There's some funk to what they do. He has a really big voice. Really enjoy these guys. I think you're going to see a lot about them in the coming year. A song that I would definitely tell everyone to check out is called Damn Darling. It was the night before Christmas 1995 Poor heart. Which is set in Nashville at the Exit Inn, which is a legendary club. It's set to reopen here soon after after changing hands. It was in Robert Altman's Nashville film. So these guys really know their history and know country music history and just have a great line in the song, Damn Darling, called Hearts Break Harder at the Old Exit Inn is the payoff line. I would check them out for sure. Another song that I really like on here is Russell County Line. If you wonder where my heart is I'm out on the road, Lord, it's right at home, I'm lifted on it, just like 
Yes. Which is just full of nostalgia for their home state of Virginia. Yeah, superficially, the vibe I got off of this was Southern rock, really. Yeah, it definitely. There's definitely elements of Southern rock there. And the number 20 is an uh, up-and-coming artist, Willie Nelson's A Beautiful Time. Yeah, an up-and-coming artist, Willie Nelson. He turns 90 in April, and it just blows my mind. He's still making such amazing albums, amazing records. This one was particularly poignant, I thought. He has two songs on here, and they're opposite ends of the spectrum. One is very earnest, heartfelt, and that's I Love You Till the Day I Die. I only saw you once And that was a long, long time ago and then the opposite side of that is he has a song called I Don't Go to Funerals. My life has been a wonder and I found my place in time. But I don't go to funerals. Which is just classic Willie lyricism there. I don't go to funerals, I won't be at mine is the lyric that I really loved. And number 19 is Joshua Headley. Neon yes. Blue. I think the vibe is sort of 90s country. Oh my goodness, yeah. It is the best 90s country album released in 2022. <laughs> he, Joshua Headley is uh, just a working class hero here in Nashville. He plays every Monday night at Robert's Western World on Broadway. The best honky-tonk, the last true honky-tonk, as we called it a few issues ago in Rolling Stone. This album is just so great. It sounds like a, an Alan Jackson record. It sounds like a Travis Tritt record. It sounds, gosh, Dina Carter even. Neon Blue, the title track, is so wonderful. And it was off to the races after that first dance. I knew where we were headed if she gave me the chance a little friday night loving but i encourage everyone to listen to the song broke again which has him stuttering the chorus broke again just fantastic stuff irresistible if i can use that word it is an irresistible song broke again and headley is just a really fascinating character an amazing fiddle player just really talented musician he played fiddle when he was a young child down in florida and was going to all these fiddle competitions and yeah played with a lot of folks and now he's got this great a second solo album so when he plays live does he like switch between guitar and fiddle or how does that work for him he does yeah in fact he'll do it on his tours and every monday at roberts he'll do that too he'll start off with the acoustic with his band the headliners which is a great band name and then he'll do some fiddle stuff it's really good and so number 16 is billy strings and the album is yeah. called me and dad and it's literally a collaboration with his dad yeah it's his so stepdad, good stepdad i guess yeah his stepdad yeah terry barber as billy will tell you he he calls terry barber his dad he raised him he taught him to play uh introduced him to to this bluegrass music this album is so traditional because some of Billy's other stuff is he's he gets out there sometimes but this is just right back to his roots as he says this album would fit at the very bottom of his catalog because it is the foundation upon which everything else is built and he and his dad like trade off songs so it's not Billy singing everything his dad sings some things they do long journey home I lost all my money but a two dollar bill two dollar bill boys two dollar bill Lost all my money. Which is some folks know as two dollar bill. They do dig a little deeper in the well. Oh, dig a little deeper in the well, boy. Dig a little deeper in the well. Well, you need a good cool drink of water. You better dig a little. Flatten Scruggs did. Uh, yeah, 
terrific stuff. And please go catch Billy live. It is, he is such a powerhouse on stage. It's whether you're a bluegrass fan or a jam fan or, or really even a metal fan, he has all of those aesthetics on the live stage. And number 14, I got a kick out of it's Paul Cawthon's, <laughs> yeah, Paul Cawthon's Country Coming Down. And it starts out with this sort of like country rap <laughs> thing called Country as Fuck. And he seems to be really enjoying himself on this album. Yeah, it's not parody. He's He will say he's playing a character. You know, when I've spoken to him, his alter ego is Big Velvet um, because I guess it's just the name and the way his voice sounds. It's very Johnny Cash, very baritone, very Nick Cave, really. But on this album, he just really made this fun album for the dance floor and for just like believing your own myth let's say that he works with a producer named Bo Bedford out of Texas Cawthon's from Texas too but yeah listen to Country as Fuck it's hilarious full of swagger and the other one that I really love is one called Champagne in a Limo And he just, it's just as, as over the top and bodacious as it sounds. A mix of some of the rootsy stuff you'd expect with a, yeah. a, a kind of loop-driven production in some songs. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. That was definitely one of the ones that, that made me blink twice when, when, I, when I heard it. Um, yeah, it's something. And man, number 13, Kelsey Walden, No Regular Dog. Man, Kelsey Walden, when I first moved to town, when I moved to Nashville 10 years ago, she, I think she was just got here at the time, and you would see her out playing bars a lot, and it was really, you always knew, boy, this is, there's something there. And John Prine, of all people, eyes that too. And he signed her to his record label, Oh Boy Records, before he passed. She's a Kentucky native. This album is produced by Shooter Jennings, who also produced my personal favorite album of the year, which is called Sometimes Why, which is a collaboration between him and the Southern rapper Yellow Wolf. But that's for another list because it's not really country. But Kelsey, this record is really fantastic. It follows up her last record, which also got wonderful reviews but what i like about this one is it's just like this immersive listening experience like it's really good under headphones the strings are woozy pedal steel comes here and there the title track is so ominous and the song that really grabbed me is one called history repeats itself where she just talks about the man or government kind of holding people down. She has a line that's politicians pushing pills want to keep me sedated. Find your faith in somewheres else, she says, which it's very Kelsey speak, right? It's like her vernacular, her dialect is still very much who she is. She hasn't tried to change anything in that respect. She's from a town called Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. And I just love the name of that. And I love that. There's so much of her in her songs and the way she sings. Number 12, Miko Marks and the Resurrectors feel like going home this is a real country soul album the first thing you hear is piano part that aretha franklin could have played yeah she miko marx has been in nashville for some time this is she's on a bit of a comeback or a renaissance let's call it this record very much what you just said brian country soul their gospel sound aretha sounds i love the song river which has got some swampy blues to it
but the one that really grabs me is a song called One More Night. From the Mississippi Delta on down to New Orleans Up that muddy water. Which is very much uplifting soul. It's almost like a travel log of the Delta. She sings about going from the Mississippi Delta on down to New Orleans. Quote, from the juke joints to the churches. They lift you up and they ain't never going to let you down. It's really much a musical journey. And number 11 is Lainey Wilson, <laughs> Bellbottom Country. She is literally wearing bellbottoms on the cover. And the music is kind of wearing bellbottoms too, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, there, it's a, there's hippie country to this. What's really fascinating about Lainey is I think she's been anointed as the next thing to come from Music Row. I say that because she got all these nominations at the last November's Country Music Awards, CMA Awards, Country Music Association. And yeah, there's a real, it's almost an anomaly, right? She's got a band that that plays raw and not overly polished. Like it doesn't sound, if you took her voice off the music, it would still, you couldn't replace it with someone else. What I'm trying to say is this is very much her. It's not something that has been tailored for radio play. That said, she is getting radio play, which is really encouraging here to come out with something that sounds not like the norm. Her single heart like a truck. I got a heart like a truck. Very popular watermelon moonshine is like the strawberry wine for today. Drink a watermelon moonshine, cook a bark with a little light, back a new But listen to the song Hillbilly Hippie. I think that one kind of sums it up. And yes, the bell bottoms are legit. She's been wearing them on stage. Number yeah. 10, Jimmy Allen. Tulip Drive. Jimmy Allen, he's a Delaware native who moved to Nashville which just within the past few years. This album, autobiographical, tells his life story. There's a tribute to his late father called Down Home. Down home. Oh, you know mama's still cooking them down home. Great. I promise I'm working with this guitar about as hard as... But what's really fascinating about this is how he is able to bring in some guests and push the envelope. Jennifer Lopez on the love ballad On My Way, which is like ready for the club. He's really pushing country's boundaries and it's just... It's great stuff. He really is blowing up. I see him everywhere right now. And Jimmy is certainly a future, future legit superstar of the genre and of mainstream Nashville. And I think Tulip Drive just doubles down on that. This is his third record. It's definitely a lot poppier than a lot of the other stuff we've talked about so far. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. But it works. He, he sells it really well and it just feels natural for him. Okay, so number seven, Adeem the Artist, White Trash Revelry. Really interesting album. Yeah, it's terrific. This record by Adeem the Artist, who is based in Knoxville, Tennessee right now. This album is just... My colleague John Freeman here at Rolling Stone wrote a terrific profile of Adeem and really compared them to the songwriting of Jason Isbell. And John Freeman doesn't use that comparison lightly. That shows the level of care that goes into what Adeem is writing. White Trash Revelry follows their, I guess, life story in a way, particularly in a song called Middle of a Heart. Daddy's gonna buy me a brand new gun. 
It's so well written. It's it starts with the main character, the protagonist, let's say, being a hunter, growing up in the South. Daddy's gonna buy me a brand new gun, goes the first line, and it just anticipating all this congratulations that they will receive when they kill a deer that year, right? There's a line that says the freezer full of fresh deer meat. And then it goes later and it becomes this idea of being in in the armed services and says I could make my country proud and get my education paid. That's the line. Face them fears, make it three years and brother, you'll have made it. And again, there's this idea of fame and coming home from war, being being a hero. But it's all about, it's all framed through the idea of a bullet going through the middle of a heart, whether it's through hunting, whether it's through serving your time, but then you come back to the, you come back to where you grew up and it's different. It's different. You find out that you are not that person. It's really fascinating. I know I'm going on and on about that song, but I just can't speak, speak Mm. more highly of it. Check out the album, everyone. Adeem the Artist, you're going to hear a lot about them this year. A lot of people have really been high on their music. And number six breaks our format a little bit, probably too well known even for this episode. But you know what? This could have bypassed people, so we'll talk about it. Number six is Marin Morris's Humble Quest. Yes. Yeah, Marin. My goodness. She's just so consistent lately. I love how she connects her earlier time in Nashville to what she's to her success, right? She sings in the big song from this album, Circles Around This Town. She sings about coming to town, being dedicated and ambitious and committed to be to making it, quote unquote. And she does. She talks also about better than we found it. She pivots from her own ambition to ambition for the country. This is a really good record, a return to form for her humble quest. Number five is by Ashley McBride, and the album is Ashley McBride Presents. Lindaville, and I guess the presents is because there's so many guest artists on this album. Precisely, yeah. It, this is a she builds an entire world on this album. This is very much a spontaneous project. She went to a cabin with a bunch of her friends and collaborators, and they just wrote. Didn't have any sense of expectation of what it would become. Brandy Clark is on there. T.J. Osborne from Brothers Osborne. Aaron Raytier, who's a great songwriter, and it's produced by John Osborne, who is T.J. Osborne's brother in their duo, Brothers Osborne. Just fantastic stuff. I guess I should say the impetus of it was she was inspired by songwriter Dennis Lindy, who wrote some big songs like Goodbye Earl for the Chicks. And that's what's kind of like she was leaning into with this, Ashley. She wanted to create songs that had characters that were re- reoccurring. So there's a song called Brenda Put Your Bra On. Brenda put your bra on, there's trouble next door. Grab a pack of cigarettes and meet me on the porch. Marvin, baby, mom about to catch him with a hole. There's a song <laughs> called Gospel Night at the Strip Club. Hallelujah, hallelujah, would you recognize him? Bonfire at Tina's. It's very much about this small town dynamic. There's even little interstitials in between the tracks, like advertising pawn shops and funeral homes and things and diners. It's a, again, it's an immersive experience. It's like you're visiting this town that Ashley created. Great stuff. 
And number four, again, something we've mentioned elsewhere in the pod, that this ranked pretty high on our overall mm-hmm. list of the best albums of 2022. But again, some people may have missed it. Really good singer-songwriter, Zach Bryan's American Heartbreak. Yeah, Zach Bryan is a streaming giant. He's He is proof that you do not need the support of country radio, per se, to become a superstar. He is selling out some big shows. He is in a public beef with Ticketmaster right now because a lot of his, he's trying to keep tickets affordable for his fans and the demand has been so great that i guess it's been but he's from oklahoma was in the navy for a long time came out and just sang about what he knew and this album american heartbreak is technically it's like a triple record 34 songs it's one song on the album that is getting a lot of buzz is something in the orange it's where he's like looking out and into the light into the dusk and shadows for signs of the woman he's missing it'll be I'm about those cloud, I'm telling you, baby. This song was, I guess, in the in the zeitgeist that uh, former President Barack Obama just put it on his list of his favorite music of the year. So check out Zach Bryan. Number three, another mm-hmm. really big name of another Miranda name. Lambert. Yeah, big name. Number three is Miranda Lambert's Palomino. Yeah, really one of my favorite records of hers, I think. I, I always go back to Platinum as probably my personal favorite Miranda Lambert record, but Palomino, a lot of unique sounds on this, and it sounds really loose and fun. Acting Up has a lot of swagger to it. Billy Bob Texas picking out new exes acting up. She revisits, revisits some songs that she had on the Marfa tape sessions, including Geraldine. sounds really southern rocky here or, or 70s rock i guess i should say and the highlight for me is music city queen which has a cameo by b-52s and it's so great to hear fred schneider drop his ad libs in that song you cannot not smile when you hear that song when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And number two, yeah, Charlie Crockett's The Man from Waco. Charlie, yeah. Again, another artist who is really having a moment. He's just released five albums in the last two years or something? Prolific, prolific. Gosh, he's just putting out so much stuff. He just headlined the Ryman Auditorium. I saw him down in Willie Nelson's ranch at that Luck reunion. He was just amazing there. 
really breaking through with doing some, I want to say throwback stuff to a degree, but it just still feels so fresh with him. R&B, honky tonk, country soul, Western swing. It's all over the man from Waco. I don't know if I technically call it a concept record or something. Some recurring themes throughout. Listen to the title track. The Mirage of Del Rio. It was burning in his eyes. And the song, I'm Just a Clown. Circus is coming through. Everybody. As well, just two standouts from this record. He's going to have a huge year. So finally, the number one album on the list, Haley Witters, Raised. Haley Witters, yeah. She is just, her songwriting is my favorite of the year, I think. It's really so, it's just so folksy, but sharp as well. She's saying, she's singing about things that have been written about in country music for decades, but she's doing it in such a new way. She's bringing her experience growing up in Shueyville, Iowa. She lives in Nashville now. She's been here over 10 years because she broke out with a song called Ten Year Town. But she brings that kind of like middle America vibe to what she's doing. In fact, there's a song on here called Middle of America, which is a duet with B.J. Barham from American Aquarium. It's got very much a lot of Mellencamp vibes. Really Mm. good song. Breakout song, I think, is one titled Everything She Ain't. Comparing herself to someone, another woman, in pursuit of a guy. And then she's got a song called Boys Back Home. The boys back home ain't more than a stones. Throw from a six-pack, pinch a winter green score. Which is like a tribute to the guys she grew up with in Iowa, running through the cornfields and, and, you know, stealing beer and hiding out on the farms. And she's got a great line where she just says, they taught me to kiss and they taught me to fight. I love this album. And you know what? Like Ashley McBride's record, this is very much an experience album. You put it on and it opens with an orchestral intro, I guess. And then it revisits that, a reprise at the end of the album. It's very much a start to finish journey. And she's fantastic. Go check her out live. So now I'm really happy to be joined by Monka Percante, who's going to talk about our somehow our first ever list of the best Afropop of 2022. It's possibly my favorite of all our lists because I discovered so much great music on it. And I've heard from a lot of other just staffers at Rolling Stone who are so grateful this list exists because there's also you, you can go on Spotify and people have made playlists from it. And you can just listen to it. And it's just a great playlist full of gorgeous and innovative music. But first of all, actually, one thing we didn't discuss, it's cool that it's songs rather than albums. How did that choice come to be? I'm really glad that you asked that. I think that in all music genres, albums are not necessarily as weighty or as as much of the like pinnacle of music as they probably sure. once were. I think that that is just especially true for a lot of Afropop. And like when I'm talking about Afropop on this list, we're literally just talking about popular music from the continent of Africa. Even if some of it, it might be made by people like in the UK or people who are based in the US, but whose experiences and sounds are very closely derived from like African pop music traditions. And so, yeah, like in that sphere, like singles, I think, or like EPs, collaborations, like those things are so much of what drives the scene that there were like great Afropop albums like Ashake, 
who we've interviewed at Rolling Stone, who we've covered as an artist, as like a cultural phenomenon, had a really great album that was incredibly successful this year called Mr. Money with the Vibe. But I think that a list of songs allowed us to include more people, allowed us to include more scenes, more sounds, more countries, and just like really expand a lot of people's, I guess, perception of what music in Africa is like right now. And there's actually a lot of genres on this list. Yeah, we have Afrobeats, of course, which is what we normally think of as like Nigerian or Ghanaian pop music and music that sounds like it comes out of those traditions. We have Amapiano, which is South African dance music that is characterized by the use of a percussive sound called the log drum. Most of it is produced digitally, so it's like a reminiscent of a log drum instrument. What else do we have? We have drill from different countries. There's Ghanaian drill, there's Kenyan drill. So there's a whole bunch of like different sorts of sounds. And then of course there's African artists performing R&B, African artists performing hip hop. You had some real experts to help you put this list together. Oh yeah, a small group, which included Ani Saraki, who is the editor-in-chief of The Native, which is a really cool, very popular Nigerian cultural publication. They're very deeply entrenched in the cultural scene in West Africa and really across Africa. And he also is a co-producer of the Black Panther 2 soundtrack. So he, and he also helps run a label under Def Jam. So the people that I wanted to work with on this list are people who are like very deeply entrenched and passionate about the music from the places that we're from in love. His managing editor, Tami Kinde, also worked on this with me. Tella Wangeshi, she's a Kenyan writer who just graduated. She's like fresh and energetic and has a lot of really interesting insights in East African music. And then Madzaza Mia of South Africa was also really integral to compiling this list with us. Aside from just looking at music from and like of the continent of Africa, we were also considering with that music, not just commercial impact, but social impact in the places where those artists and the type of music that they make matter most. So we talked to each other about, we want to think about songs that define a club scene in a country or are in every Uber, every taxi that you might hop in. Because like even like with Ubers in particular, like that, like car rides, like transportation was a way of that I understand a lot of I'm a piano got off the ground and spread as like a cultural phenomenon. So we wanted to think about things that like even if like your average American or European listener might not know that they still held a lot of like cultural or popular significance in other ways. Oh, and I guess the one last thing I would say along those lines is a number of these songs are like global crossover smashes that even if you don't know 47 of these songs, like three of them, you probably heard somewhere if you do fun things, (laughs) but or if you're on TikTok or if you look at Shazam, like these are songs that you might have encountered. But some of them are not that. And like I said earlier, have different different type of significance that we were really like honored to uplift. Why don't you take us through the list, maybe starting with number 20? So number 20 was Bandana by Fireboy DML and Ashake, who I mentioned earlier. Bandana was a single off of Fireboy's album, Playboy, which I believe is his third popular album. It wasn't as massive, like, stateside as perhaps, like, his hit Peru with Ed Sheeran, but he's still, like, an incredibly talented and popular figure in the Afrobeat scene. Bandana is, like, a upbeat, like, hopeful kind of song, um, and it's a... Fireboy 
acknowledges himself as an Afrobeats artist, but also like many Afrobeats artists do think about their music in very personal terms. And he's coined the term Afrolife to describe like his identity as a musician, which I think is interesting. He thinks that represents the like soul, like the soulfulness, like when we think about like American soul music or even just music that is like uh, personal and like spiritual in that way. And number 19. Number 19 is a song, Watawi, which is really, it's spelled W-A-T-A-W-I, but it's really saying, what are we, with like an accent, essentially. And it's a song about like someone's significant other, sort of, they're like boo thing on like the low, asking them about the status of their relationship. It's also like an Afrobeat sort of influence song. It includes a South African artist, vocalistic, a producer, Abidoza, and then DeVito, who is like a major, major star out of Nigeria. So it's a really thickly sketchy, but super musically compelling song. Number 18. Okay. 18 is a song called Sugarcane, but it's remix. It's by an artist named Kamido. It features Mirakun, King Promise, and Darko. Let me see the woman that is with Darko is a UK artist with African heritage. And the most popular version of this song, in my opinion, is a sped up version. We know that that's like a phenomenon on TikTok right now. And it pulls from Mirakun's verse and instead of the hook. So the song, the version of the song that I heard the most was like a 30 second clip of a rap sung verse. It's almost like a wedding song. It's very lovelorn. It's like very up tempo. It's lovely. It's like a romantic song. Number 17 is Brooklyn Boys. P, it's a full-on drill song. Yeah, it's a Kenyan drill song that I'm glad that Tella could introduce me to. And it just describes this pair of Kenyan rappers and like the success that they've accrued and the flexing they can do and the women that they've got. And it's interesting to me because the song is partially in English. So there's like a line where one of the rappers in the group says, ask my ex, I'm toxic. It's like giving future. Um, (laughs) But there's a lot of the song is in Sheng, which is like a slang mixture of Swahili and English. It's a really fun song to listen to as like an Anglophone, someone who like almost exclusively speaks English, because you can catch the blips of English and the blips of English are like very like true to like a rap or hip hop ethos and the pride and like the ego. So you get a sense of what's happening in the song, even if you don't understand like 90% of it. And then there's a fun play Tella and I were talking about, she was explaining to me on a Justin Bieber song. It's a DJ Khaled and Justin Bieber and Chance song called No Brainer. And there's like a true joke about brain in like a different sense. And so it's fun. Like it's fun with a lot of these songs. And I think just listening to music that is out of your comfort zone or out of your like core expertise in general is like discovering things and like jokes and like slang and like life just for like people who are not in your immediate circle. So I I got to experience that in putting this list together too. Absolutely. And number 16 is Young John's Extra Cool. And he's a producer who's now stepping out as an artist. 
Yeah, he is. And we've seen a sort of a bunch of that. Like number five, who we'll talk about on the list is by this artist named Fields, who is like a pretty well-known Nigerian producer. And Young John exists in like a similar lane. He's signed to the same label as another rapper from Nigeria that I love named Blackbones, who is on this list and not necessarily in the top 10, 20. But Young John is like, a, I think like a newer like performer on the roster. And Extra Cool is like a cool, like I'm a piano influenced song. A lot of songs out of Nigeria this year were I'm a piano influenced. There was like a lot of debate and discussion about things around like appropriation and who gets credit and who gets the benefit of a sound. But I think that like the melding of those sounds and cultures was like really exciting in a lot of ways. It sounds really good because you're taking like the pop elements of an Afrobeat song. And I think Extra Cool does this where it's it's short. Like I'm a piano songs can be like seven, eight, nine, ten minutes long. But I'm a piano production in contrast to Afrobeats is like darker and like a little more like brooding and complex and and like dance music, like the dance and house music that was incredibly popular in Western music this year. I'm a piano is the predecessor and equivalent of that on the African continent. So Extra Cool is like a one of those songs that's a testament to how much Afrobeats and Ama Piano met up this year. Yeah, I follow some like club DJs on Twitter and they've been saying that they have to go to Ama Piano to get a crowd moving right now, which is really yeah. interesting. And it's so interesting because Ama Piano, like for example, for Rolling Stone, the first sort of exploration into Ama Piano was a big reported piece speaking to artists and producers in the scene. I wrote that in 2021. And so we were still like in the grips of COVID-19, like things were really bad, but this music was really popping. So like people still wanted to go and dance. People like either were dancing or couldn't wait to get on a dance floor to experience this music because it's really meant to be lived to. And number 15 is one of the songs I responded to instantly. Love the guitar on it. Tell me about that one. Yeah. So that's Victoni Soweto, which is funny because Victoni is Nigerian and Soweto is in South Africa. This song does not sound like I'm a piano at all, but it actually sounds like a, it sounds like the soundtrack to an American Western, like a cowboy movie. And Victoni calls his fans Outlaws. This EP that it's from, I believe, is called Outlaw. And he just has this really, this sweet, cool, calm, collected voice, but it's also disturbed at the same time. It's it's a mix of like distress and like longing, even if he's not necessarily singing about something romantic. For example, his biggest hit is probably a song called Holy Father with Maracoon, who we talked about earlier on Sugarcane. And it's much more subdued Soweto than that song. But one of the most interesting things I think about Victoni, aside from his like incredible musical ability is the fact that in 2021, he survived a car crash that killed his close friend, someone named Doyen. And it confined Big Tony to a wheelchair for the rest of the year. He actually did not really stand up publicly until December 2021 during a concert. It's like a miracle that he's even able to produce and share this music and like still. Yeah. Number 14, Ashish, Show Me Off. And this is just an instantly enticing song. Such a great song. Yeah, Asha has been doing music for such a long time, even though she came into my like awareness very recently. But she released an album called V, representing her fifth album this year. 
and it's all gorgeous. It's very quietly confident. Asha is like very like singer songwriter, like folky vibes. And this song is like really tranquil, like very pretty guitar. And yeah, I think it's very emblematic. It was hard. We struggled to pick an Asha song because so many of them are so good and like somewhat similar in vibe. But I think that this song is one of my favorites for the way that it like truly puts me at ease. And number 13 may break our format a little bit. It's Kiz Daniels and Techno's it's a song that's out in the world. You probably heard it. It's so good. Don't walk it, don't try, try. You supposed to be jai jai. Kill up, come, you can't pass him. I don't pass him with a man. Yeah, I think that this song is very reminiscent of the type of like African music that I heard growing up at hall mm. parties, like when I was very young, like school aged, can't drive, can't go nowhere. You're just doing the things that your parents do. And so like African communities in the U.S. and like really across like the diaspora have found ways to connect with each other, to build families out of acquaintanceships. Like so many of my aunties are not people that I share blood with. They're just like my mom's friends who she's like acquired through building a network of like other African women after immigrating here. And so like at these parties, we all love to dance to like music that sounds like classic. But also when it comes to the kids, like classic, but also fun, joyful, energetic and a little modern. And so I think that like uh, Booga, which like I think a lot of people think of as like low, low, low because of the hook is really emblematic of that. And it was so popular. Another one of those songs that probably could have been in the top five if this was like a popularity contest alone, but like very good nonetheless. And tell me about number 12. Okay, so number 12, we finally are getting to Ashake's solo stuff. So Ashake appears on this list at least three times. That, I think, is representative of just the massive year that he had. So Joha is one of the songs off of Mr. Money with the Vibe. He created like a dance to go with this song. He's wearing comically big pants, I think, in the first video that he introduced this dance to the world. So that's one of the reasons why when we were trying to debate which Ashake songs to put on this list, we landed on Joha as one of them. It's really hard to understate the success and influence and like joy Ashake brought people this year. But I think that it's also important to note that in his huge breakout year, there was there was like hysteria at his shows. Like I went to his Atlanta show and there was chaos and physical boundaries being broken between people that do not know each other trying to just get Hmm. into the show. It was very disorganized. Unfortunately, there was a similar, a similarly chaotic scene at his show at London's Brixton Academy. And unfortunately, a young woman passed away and two other young women were in critical condition after a crowd crush that took place like mid-show. Ashake, of course, is devastated And it's really, it was like a harsh end to what was a really prolific year. But I don't think that anybody widely faults Ashake for the terrible things that went down. And I think we all still recognize that, like, he really shifted culture in such an important way this year. Number 11, Uncle Jing Jong dance hauling. And what I love here is the sort of cross-cultural nature of this genre that here we have Jamaican sounds in Kenya. Tell me about the genre in question and about the song and the artist. 
Sure. The genre is gangatone. It's like a mixture, like you indicated, of like dance hall and rap and reggaeton. And it's been popular in Kenya for at least, at this point, we're in 2022, so for at least six years. But I'm not sure of the exact origins of the genre. But it was important because in Kenya, like a lot of African nations, music that comes from outside of the country, because having a thriving music industry is expensive. It takes so much coordination. Like it's a difficult thing for any sort of country to achieve, much less countries that have been disadvantaged by all the things that Africa or all the things that some like a lot of countries in Africa have been. And so like Nigeria, South, South Africa have huge, thriving, bustling music industries that a lot of countries, even though they're incredibly like important, like hardworking, productive artists, like don't necessarily experience. So in Kenya, tell or so in Kenya, Gengatone was able to flourish as a national genre as something organic from the place rather than coming from another nation and like dominating radio or dominating social scenes. And this song in particular, it like, I love that it like actually names one of the roots of the genre and is a good time. Like Uncle Jing Zhang has such a distinct voice and it was one of the most enjoyable songs that I was introduced to in this process. Number 10 is a big I'm a piano song by a huge artist in that genre. And it is definitely a vibe. Tell me about this one. Yeah, so this song is called Kusela by Kabzid Small, and it features a vocalist who I should have asked Zaza for the pronunciation of her name, but it's spelled as if it's pronounced Msaki. It's just like a beautiful, like spiritual type of song. And Kabza De Small, who is like someone that we featured prominently when we did our first dive into I'm a Piano as a publication, is like often thought about as and thinks of himself as the king of I'm a Piano, hence the name of the album. I am the king of I'm a Piano, Sweat and Dust, which like was one of his first big crossover projects. And then this album is called KOA 2. And, and so I think that it's just, it's hard to understate the reach and influence of Kabza De Small. And so I think that making sure that this song was in the top 10 is not just a testament to how beautiful it is, but like to his, to his stature in the genre. And number nine is, I believe, the entire roster of a label on one song. Uh, <laughs> it's so close tell to me it. about that. Yeah, it's close to it. So it's called Overloading or Overdose. It's by uh, artists from Nigeria named Crayon, Ira Star, Ladipo, Magix, and Boy Spice. Yeah, it's a posse cut. It's like a, it's the video, I think, is such a testament to the cohesion and the energy within this label called Maven. And it's Maven Records. It's a Nigerian label that's independent. It's run by Dun Jazzy, who like is a prolific producer in the Afrobeat space, worked with T.Y. Savage, a bunch, just like he's had such a he's had such a shaping hand, I think, in what music has crossed over from Nigeria and just like even what music like I think what what Afrobeats like what Afrobeats is thought of as. And the, he's still working really hard, like Ira Starr, who is the lone female vocalist on this track is like we describe her as like the Nigerian like it girl there there's a huge I think comparatively to the past in like women 
who sing and perform from West Africa, Nigeria in, spe- in, in particular, thinking about people like Thames, thinking about Fave, who had a huge hit last year in Baby Rhythm. So Ira is like in that class of artists and she they're all incredibly unique. And Ira just, I've been so interested in her since her debut, 19 and Dangerous, last year. And so, yeah, this song is from their album, from Maven's album called Chapter X, which is recognizing 10 years of the label's work. So number eight is from a woman who's a DJ producer who has an absolutely fantastic artist named Uncle Waffles. And <laughs> she she's a DJ. This is her debut single, I think, as a producer. She has a bunch of guests on it. So tell me a little bit about this song. Yeah, so it's called Tanzania. <laughs> Yeah, if my research and my memory of it serves me correctly, Tanzania by Uncle Waffles is a like an ode or like remembrance of an underground party that took place like in the throes of COVID. Um, and like, I'd love that it's like that is like potentially the origin of the name because Uncle Waffles became this like viral figure for videos of her DJing these like incredibly lit looking parties. Really, she got her start and her break in South Africa and South Africa's music and dance scene. But she herself is from Swaziland. And so we got a lot of different countries represented right here. And the thing about her performance as a DJ is not only does she have a great ear, great taste, she dances as she DJs and the people do the same dances as her with her. And she moves incredibly and she she just seems like a good time. And it was great to see her branch out and produce music as well as play it. Yeah, I think you can tell that she is a DJ just by the way that the track builds. You can just feel her experience there. You have to be patient to enjoy I'm a Piano as like a pop listener because the, there is a long build up, but there's such a payoff. Right. That's why the songs are six or seven minutes long. You got to ride with it. Um, exactly. And number seven, another sort of offshoot of drill. So tell me about this song. Yeah. So it's Traveler by Black Sheriff. He is a drill performer from Ghana, where like drill, their drill scene is called Asaka. And he has just like really taken off globally with this sound. I think the cool thing about this song is like it's deep, it's personal, it's dramatic. But the fun thing about it is there's a part that is, I think, most remembered. And he says, of course, I fucked up. Who has never fucked up? Hands in the air. No hands. But his performance of it is so sharp and so confident that it's relatable, but also empowering. And I think that we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more from him. So number six is a song performed by an ama piano vocalist named Dali Wonga. It was produced by a duo called Mellow and Sleazy and also features an artist named MJ. The thing about the song that I think is really compelling to me besides Daliwanga's it's chill it's it's smooth it's like bold but also very self-assured he's like really vibing and the song's title 
got shaped by what the fans heard. So he was saying mm. in the song's title, Abamelo is him, was originally com- like a product of him in the song saying, I'm chilling with Melo, who's one of the producers. However, it was misheard as a word spelled M-B-E-L-O. So they just ran with it because it went viral that way before it came out and as a snippet of it exists. And so it, it ended up being called Amonbello, like with that spelling. And it's another one. It's a full eight minutes long. It builds over a long period of time. Yeah, I think that this song, like in the beginning, like I think that this song is like a chiller Ama Piano song. Some Ama Piano songs are like hardcore dance songs. And I think this one is, is a dance song, but like you can put it on and nod your head or do what you're doing. Like earlier today, I was like working to it. And so I just think there's so much diversity in the genre. I see why so many people want to pull from its sound. And I'm really excited to just continue to see South African and Southern African artists like run with it. And number five is another one that people may well have actually heard out there. It's it's called Finesse, and I've definitely heard it on TikTok. And I've been living fast life, but I see it in slow. Oh no, and you see my lifestyle, I got G's in the double. Yeah, yeah, it was at one point it was the most Shazam song in the world. We wrote about it as a song you need to know in the spring of 2022. Definitely was like one of the Afrobeats anthems of the summer. It also features Benson, who is better known as the artist Buju, recently changed his name. It's another one of those songs that a snippet circulated through social before it came out. And then it really took off on social with what's called the Falake Challenge, which is like from a lyric where they say Falake for the night. Falake is a woman's name. And so people would do different things to the song representative of finessing. So one of my favorite uh, TikToks inspired by finesse and soundtrack by finesse is someone doing self-checkout at a grocery store and they're scanning like what one can presume is like an, a more expensive box of Krispy Kreme donuts as carrots. <laughs> but that aside, like that like social movement aside, it's a great sounding song. Feels is an incredibly talented and often tapped producer. And I think it really started off like the summer of like Afrobeats. And number four, tell me about this one. Yeah. So number four is by Iris Starr, who I mentioned when we talked about overloading by the Maven artist. It was her big single this year. After releasing her debut album last year, 19 and Dangerous, she followed it up with a deluxe. This was an addition. And she's just an incredible performer and vocalist. There's a video. So this song is like a Nigerian pop song, right? Up-tempo, like characteristic of Nigerian pop songs, confident. But there's a video of her performing it with an orchestra, essentially, or like an orchestral sort of arrangement at a live concert. And her voice is everything it is on the track and more. And she elongates the words and the bars and the verse. And the crowd is so enamored with her. She's truly, she calls herself like a celestial being. And there is like this like otherworldly like aura about like the maturity and capacity that she has in her performance. And number three has some serious star power. Take us through that one. Yeah, it's a Shake and Burna Boy on Sungba remix. This was one of Ashake's like breakout songs. It came early in 2022 
And it's just like a riot. It's it's fun. It's like rowdy. Burna gives like one of, I think, his best features to Ashake on this song. And I think it really kicked off like Ashake mania. And we're almost to the top. Yeah. Uh, and you did not pick the Camila Cabello remix of this. You picked the original. Yeah, that's usually going to be my mode when it comes to big, like, Western pop star <laughs> remixes of Afrobeat songs. I think that we could have a whole conversation about that. But I think that Oxlade really created an incredible template that, of course, like a massive pop star would want to contribute to because it's a beautiful song. So many reasons why I want it for you, my So Colosa is like pronounced closer, really, or is a pronunciation of the word closer, which is what Oxlade is crooning, that he wants intimacy. He wants connection with this particular person. And Oxlade has such an incredible voice. He was raised in like church. He has those kinds of roots as a singer. I think the song is written so gorgeously as a love song in Pidgin, which is like a colloquial, like English-based sort of language in Nigeria and much of West Africa, uh, as well as like other dialects. But it's my favorite, honestly. So we'll talk about number one, but if this was Monkaper's list of the best Afro pop songs of 2022, it would probably be number one. It's a pretty undeniable song. If you had to pin down the subgenre of the sort of beat, where would you place it? That's interesting. So I think about Oxlade as uh, as an Afrobeats artist, but if I had to put a subgenre under Afrobeats, which of which exists really as an umbrella and like a catch-all anyway, I would say this is an R&B song, an nice. African R&B song. And I think that it is like a product of its popularity and the world's willingness to accept it is not only a product of how gorgeous the song is on its own, but like the door is open by people like Wizkid, who Oxlade would credit himself, or Thames helping the world understand that African music can be R&B, can be pop, can be rap. It exists under all different types of genres. Number one is as big as it gets, really. It's Burna Boy's Last Last. Yeah, the Tony Braxton, he wasn't man enough sample alone is like nuts <laughs> on this song, right? Like the flip of that. I think people like me, I'm 29, like we're old enough for that song to be a classic, but like young enough that it was a part of our like day-to-day -day lives at a point. I used to love this music video. I used to, this is my favorite Tony Braxton song. And so I think it was like, there's a lot to be said about the way samples are used in this era, but this is like a really, to me, like smart sample. And Berna absolutely crushes it. It's a heartbreak song, really. It's a song about a breakup. And in, in describing this like breakup, Berna still like maintains power as he like, it performs with a level of vulnerability. But he says, I need Ibo and Shio, which is like the most memorable part of the song. And that's saying I need like weed and alcohol to like process and deal with this thing that's going on in my life. And it was everywhere. Berna had his debut at Madison Square Garden this uh, spring, which is where he first performed the song publicly. And it was funny being in that room because people like kind of liked it, but there wasn't like an outbreak of like joy or surprise when he did it. It was more like people processing the song it very quickly became the biggest song in Afrobeats, I would have to say, by one of the biggest artists. And was there, I think there was at least one extra song you wanted to throw in. 
Oh, yeah. I did want to talk about a song that didn't make the list because there are so many that didn't. There's this artist named A.V. who I don't even see a ton about online, but he has this song called No Day Form. That title is in my bad version of a pigeon accent, but it's in that title is in pigeon. He's Nigerian. And this song is so beautiful and I think is like a testament to like what could blow up this year. There's guitar, it's energetic, but it's measured. And he's inspired by people like Asha, but he's also inspired by like Chronix, the reggae singer. He's also inspired by Kendrick Lamar and Future and XXX Tentacion. So I'm really excited to see where he goes. Just so much great music to explore. And there's even more on the full list. And you can check out the playlist that people put up on places like Spotify. And Monkapur, thanks so much for joining me as always to go through this. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're covering a lot of bases today. I wanted to have Corey Grow join me to speak about Rolling Stone's list of the top 15 metal albums of 2022 because there's a lot of great music on there even by pretty big names that may not have penetrated the mainstream last year i heard a lot of music that i hadn't heard going through this list that i kind of love let's start with number 15 Corey. dead cross and the album is dead cross too yeah dead cross are this great they're this great super group of metal and hardcore bands and i want to preface this this is a good album to start with because it's not so much metal in the purest sense of the term and a lot of the albums as we go through this they are different kind of variants of aggression and intensity and dead cross take that sort of metal hardcore crossover feel and just ratchet it up i will say something funny which as i was listening to this fairly blind i forgot who dead cross in fact was and and i was like wow, this singer is really channeling Faith No More. This is sick. And then I realized, of course, the singer is Mike Patton. Of it's Faith Mike. No More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love the concept of this band. It's just, what do you get when you get Mike Patton and you get Dave Lombardo from Slayer and you get JP from The Locust and you get them all together in a room? Just the idea of just these three... Dudes, and then obviously the guitar player from Retox, who I know Justin Pearson from The Locust plays in Retox too. Just the four of these people from these different worlds of metal hardcore aggression just come together and make this incredible racket. Like Reign of Error because you get the combo of just Mike Patton doing the Mike Patton thing, which is just every single thing a voice can do in two minutes, plus Justin Pearson screeching along with him. And I also love Without Love just because I love that line. He goes, I love you so much I could shit. <laughs> and I think that's the one of the greatest lines I heard in lyrics last year. Number 14 is a new one-man band called Black Braid, and the album is Black Braid 1. Yeah, and just the fact that it is a one-man band is incredible. And then when you add to it just every other sort of aspect of this group. So the creator, he is a Native American artist and takes a lot of inspiration from being an Indigenous American. One of the first tracks that came off of this was Barefoot Ghost Dance on Blood-Soaked Soil.
and it says a lot right there. And then you listen to it and the music's just this really cool combo of the tremulant dramatic sounds of black metal with sort of folky instruments. He takes a lot of inspiration from some Native American sounds, Native indigenous instruments and stuff like that. And it's one of these things that you've heard parts of it before, but you've never heard all of it before. And it's really cool. And there's even, as the write-up says, acoustic folk interludes, like the song As the Creek Flows Softly By. It's a very compelling listen, and it's a cohesive album, which is something that a lot of metal bands all strive for, and some do it and some don't. And just for this to be his first album is pretty incredible. And number 13 is by a band who's an old reliable on our list at this point, Boris, and the album is Heavy Rock. Yeah, Boris, are, how long have they been going? It's just incredible how good they've been for decades and decades. The, just this trio that just can, depending on the album channels, either sludgy, weird, experimental stuff to just straight ahead Stooges riffing. This album, Heavy Rocks, which is the third album that they've titled Heavy Rocks, which is funny to me. They've done one in every decade since 2002. This one has, it is a more revved up sort of stoogesy sound, as our writer Dan Epstein pointed out, and stuff like Cramper. And my name is Blank. are these really hard rocking songs. And then there's also this really cool piano ballad on there called Not Last Song. That uh, has some really interesting guitar playing too on it, like within the piano ballad. And they just have a cool sound. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things we see on this list and in general is that metal seems to really reward longevity these days. There's a lot of bands that just keep going and going. It's really maybe more than any other genre right now. I think that it's because it metal, I don't know, there's this whole idea that like people really focus on which the first thing you came out with. But musicians don't get the credit to just get better with age. And I don't know, I think that's maybe this pop thing that, that started in the 60s where it's just, oh, they're just a bunch of kids. But something about metal and metal fans, they want to see their artists improve with age and get better. And it's great when they do. Yeah, it's also it's just essentially the more grizzled and like old you get, the more metal you are. So it just, totally. it just works. In totally. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of which, number 12, Lamb of God yeah. moments. It's another band that's just been angry for decades. And uh, this is a good example of just a band that found its groove and didn't mess with it. And they're just like you're saying, like they, they just keep on woodshedding it and fine-tuning it album after album and they just have this consistency to them that's really cool and my favorite song of the album actually didn't get shouted out in dan's blurb and that's the final song september song it's just everything that you want from this sort of hard grooving growling metal that just gets you revved up like it's just venom Number 11 is an album so heavy, it could have only been made by two bands teaming up, two different bands. It's a collaboration between the band Mismore and the band Thou, and the album is called Myopia. Yeah, and it's so nice they did it twice at the same time. It's really cool when you see bands that sort of complement each other's sounds, and Thou has been really great with 
collaborating with other bands in recent years. They did a really cool record with The Body recently, and they collaborated with an artist named Emma Ruth Rundle, who does this sort of gothic stuff. But when they're together, they created this album that's just noisy and sludgy and heavy. And it just really, it's a very deep album with a lot of textures that, that just makes you want to go deeper into it. Across genres, there are very few albums that are two full bands teaming up. Franz Ferdinand made an album with Sparks yeah. a few years ago. That's an example. There's also, this is an obscurity even to Rush fans, but Rush teamed up with the band Max Webster for the song Battle Scar. And both bands are playing at once on that song. There was that time when Green Day and U2 recorded a song together, but there's really not that. It doesn't happen that often, especially for a full I think album. there's something about sludgy bands that are open to it, because Neurosis and Jarbo, who used to be in Swans, did a record about 20 years ago that was incredible. Melvin's teamed up with Big Business about 15 years ago. And like I said, Val has been doing a lot. It's just something about these sort of really heavy grooving bands that sort of, I don't know why, but they're open to it and it works. As our writer Grayson Curran pointed out, I think Manifold Lens... And subordinate. Such an interesting combo. And number 10, yet another group of veterans with Jay Weinberg on drums. Incredibly. Some amazing playing from Jay on this. Max Weinberg's son, of course. Slipknot's album, The End, so far. Yeah, Slipknot, as we will see with some of the records to come, too. Slipknot are another one of these bands that sort of found a sound and did variations on it. And I think this is probably their most varied album so far within the sounds because you have a track like the opening song, Adderall. Shallow graves and deepest fears. Which I like, and it's a Radiohead song. It's not a metal song at all. It sounds like Radiohead. And I mentioned that to Corey Taylor in an interview this last year. And he was kind of like, I was going more for Dave Gahn from, from De Depeche Mode. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, it sounds like Radiohead, but it's cool. But it's cool to introduce these sorts of different varieties of sounds onto a metal album. And then, of course, there's no lack of just slipknot rage, like the dying song. just everything that Slipknot fans, maggots as they're called, want from a Slipknot record. Yeah, it's weird listening to this. There are definitely songs on this album that people who would never imagine themselves listening to Slipknot would enjoy. And again, I, I think Jay Weinberg is such a great drummer. Yeah, yeah. they're lucky that in, in, as far as drums go, their clown who's been in the band from the beginning, he's one of the founding members of the band, he's a percussionist. He's not going to let the drums sound bad no matter who's playing them in the band. And they're very lucky to have Jay to do that. I think one of the songs really to check out on this album is the Chapel Town Rag because it's just really just digs into everything. The it's the apotheosis of Slipknot, and then from there it just goes deeper and deeper. Number nine is turns out this band is named after a city in Uzbekistan, like Moynak, M O apostrophe Y, N O Q. Perhaps the most metal city name in the world. And the album is called A Place for Ash. And this is a black metal force. Yeah. And this this was something that when I was when I pulled the writers who worked with me on this list, Kim Kelly, who's a great metal writer, said this was her favorite album of the year. And I was just like, I hadn't heard of it. 
And I had listened, been listening to metal all year long, and this one just somehow had slipped my radar, and I put it on. I'm like, oh my god, this is so good. And she's totally right, and we have to include this on the list. It's a perfect record for the list. And it was one of these things that was like a late introduction for me, and I just think it's really cool. Like, she's got such great taste in black metal that when you hear this record, you'll understand it, especially if you're hearing like, like a track like The Beast That Mourned at the Heart of the Mountain. or effigies adorned in fire. Nice. Yeah, and the, I guess the beast that mourned at the heart of the mountain is the album closer, and it's probably one of the most ambitious songs yeah, on the album. Yeah, totally. Okay, number eight is a band called Worm Rot. They are a three-member band from Singapore, and the album is called Hit. Yeah, and this is the album that sort of broke up the lineup, as our blurb talks about, which is funny because like, when you listen to it, I guess the vocalist, Arif, decided that he was just done with the band after that. He'd moved on, but it is like one of the most impassioned grindcore albums I think I've heard in recent years. Grindcore, of course, being a really intense, fast version of death metal that's almost like punk in a way. And just there's just so much intensity and just, the, I don't know, they, there's just so much life in this that it's hard to imagine that he would want to leave that. But every song sounds different. That's one of the other great things about a band like Wormrot is you don't get bored. There's 21 songs. It's only 33 minutes long. And they go, <laughs> they do power electronics on All Will Wither. They, they shriek throughout Grieve. And they, they do a lot of just, just build it all up on a song like When Talking Fails, It's Time for Violence, which I think is a pretty good summary of what you would expect from a Worm Rot record. And number seven is talk about veterans. And it is a shockingly strong record to me. I'm, it's by Megadeth and it's called The Sick, The Dying and The Dead. And it just, it really sounds... Very yeah, vital. It, I know. I love it. We waited a long time for this record because Dave had his cancer scare for a little bit there, and he was working on the record then, and it was years. And I didn't know what it was going to be like. And when I heard it, I was just like, this is Megadeth. This is the Megadeth we've been waiting for. And I asked Dave in an interview this past year, I'm just like, why are you still raging? Like, you, you, like, you, <laughs> you don't have to do this anymore. You've proved yourself. And Dave Mustaine being Dave said to me, I still got a couple bands in my crosshairs. And I just said, as long yeah. as as long as you got the motivation, I listened to a song like We'll Be Back. And he means it. There will be, I'm sure there will be another Megadeth record, and I'm sure it will hit harder than this one. And I don't know how he'll do it, but he will. Dave is still getting his revenge upon Metallica musically. It's just he's still... <laughs> That's like the best story in metal. It's just, yeah, he's, he's upset about it, but it, he's, it makes him make this great, fantastic music. And if he ever does get together with James and Lars and settle whatever differences they have and make a record again, that he's going to be like the hardest hitting guy in the room. At age 80, they'll do it. it and it'll rock. <laughs> I believe yeah. with Dave there, he's got, it'll be a catharsis moment and I want to see it. They may have to have a robot replace Lars at that point, but other than that, it will, <laughs> will be great. Number six, this is a heavy record. This is just, 
I don't even know. It's full on Cookie Monster vocals and it's just, it's full on death metal. The band is Undeath and the album is It's Time, dot, 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 to rise from the grave. (laughs) They mean it too. It is time. You have been waiting too long to rise from the grave. Yeah, this is just meat and potatoes death metal, the way that bands like Cannibal Corpse were doing it. Maybe even, I don't know, like death and obituary and these groups that sort of were gestating in Tampa in the late 80s and early 90s. And I loved the line that Grayson Curran put into this blurb about the celebrating death metal's crazed Florida man heritage. And (laughs) it's just everything that you want from a death metal record. It was, and it's good. It still sounds fresh, even though that taking this genre that's been around for three decades now, four decades almost, and it's just, they still mean it. You know what I mean? And it's nice to hear a group that, that is coming into it fresh and still meaning it. When you picture these sort of classic death metal album covers, you would picture a head splattered in seven different ways. And thank God for Undeath to actually have written a song called Head Splattered in Seven Ways because it captures that death metal spirit. Number five, really interesting album. The band is Chat Pile. The album is God's Country. Yeah, this is a perfect example of you've never heard this before. It's it's very arty. It's almost an art experiment, but it's heavy at the same time. It's got this sort of sludge metal feel to it, this sort of almost doom metal feel to it. And you, you feel like you're eavesdropping or you're a voyeur of some kind in this some sort of weird landscape of like out in the desert or out in the some, somewhere on the, the outskirts of town somewhere. It's very strange. I love this album, but there I know that there's a meme that's online where it's just somebody was making fun of this a little bit where somebody was saying that Chat Pile sounds like Norm Macdonald just ranting with guitars behind it. And I'm like, I like that. <laughs> I want that sort of sound to it. And uh, it's just this sort of weird, slow thing. And I don't know, it's hard to pick a song to, that I would recommend from this because there's just so many different styles on this. But maybe Slaughterhouse is a cool way to go because it has that uh, that heaviness to it. <laughs> But I also want to just shout out that there is a very strange song that we, maybe we don't want to listen to right here called Grimace Smoking Weed.jpg that you should listen to. But I think <laughs> that it would just I think it would just weird everybody out. No, that's what we're here for. That's what this episode is for. We're in unexplored territory here where people will definitely hear yeah. that at least for a second. Number four is a really popular band really theatrical live, and the band is Ghost. The album is Impera. I have to say, here in Ghost in the past, the singer is Tobias Forge, I think, and in the past, his voice has always sounded weirdly familiar to me. And listening to this, which I really like, and I hope I won't offend Ghost fans, he does sound a bit like Weird Al. <laughs> he sounds like a metal Weird Al. It's just, it's not, it's just happens to be a vocal similarity, which actually only made me enjoy the album more, I have to yeah, admit. there's just something about Ghost that it's fun. Our writer on this one, Joe Hudak, who's also our esteemed country editor and a huge Ghost fan, he likened it to almost Broadway type music. It's fun to hear this combo of sort of 80s metal and Broadway theatricality and it still is good. And yeah, maybe there's a little bit of Weird Al in there from that theatricality. (laughs) But there's something about it that there's just hooks there and it's fun and it's dark and it's not dark at the same time. And you can hear that in the song like 20s. 
which is a, a probably one of the most theatrical one there is on the record. And number three, Meshuggah, Immutable. I had a lot of music to go through for this episode, and I got stuck on the Meshuggah album because I really like it. That You're a huge Rush fan, so that makes perfect sense to me that you would be into Meshuggah because Meshuggah totally. took that sort of that nerdy musical theory thing that Rush does so well, and they just square it or, or cube it. <laughs> and they add in even more weird rhythms and rhythms that don't match up with other rhythms. And, you know, people maybe who don't like... Uh, uh, Cookie Monster vocals might actually like this band, which has Cookie Monster vocals, because to me, Jens Kidman has always been just another instrument in the band. He's he is literally a vocalist. He is playing the vocals, and it fits in really cool. And Meshuggah is just another one of these bands that have been at it for thirty, almost forty years, I think, and haven't gotten boring yet, and haven't repeated themselves, and are doing new things. And Immutable is just proof of that. Immutable, unchanging. It's funny to me that they're unchanging, but they're also constantly changing. Like, you never get tired of it. And for me, I really liked hearing them try a little bit of black metal on a song like Black Cathedral. But I also like the sort of the way that the guitars are moving and they move below. There's just a lot to really latch on to. And number two, I've been meaning to listen to this. You wrote a cool feature with Ozzy. And I heard people saying this album was actually really good. And it's just, you know how it is. I just never got around to it. And then I listened to it in the past week. It's Ozzy Osbourne's Patient Number 9. And I said, geez, this yeah. is really good. It's full of absolutely classic specifically Ozzy guitar sounds and songwriting. The effects on the guitars are always very much in the Ozzy bag. His singing is great. You'd never know he's having health problems. I was really surprised, and I guess that's why it's at number two. It's a very right? good album. And something that occurred to me when I was working on the feature about Ozzy was that he is metal's comeback king. Like he came from nothing, then he helped found Black Sabbath, then he got kicked out of Black Sabbath, and then he got back up again and did his solo career with Blizzard of Oz. And he's had so many sort of things. He's had health setbacks over the years. He was almost killed in an ATV accident about 15 years ago, and he just keeps going. And here he is now, still currently, as you said, just laid up trying to recover from this terrible fall that he had a couple years ago. And Parkinson's disease, and he's making one of one of his solo career bests here. And he's teamed with Tony Iommi from Sabbath, and Eric Clapton, and Jeff Beck. And it, it doesn't ever sound like an album that's just a bunch of features. It sounds like an Ozzy Osbourne record. And we should probably mention the producer and co-writer yeah. Andrew Watt, who has had probably deserves a bit more attention because he's doing a very interesting thing with his career. He's going between like entire Miley Cyrus albums working with people like Bieber and Five Seconds of Summer and Post Malone, and then doing albums. He did the Ozzy album this year. He did the Eddie Vedder album this year. So he's just a very good producer. And Elton John he worked with. Very interesting yeah. career path. And, and Iggy doing. Pop. There's an Iggy Pop record. And the, yes, the Iggy Pop that's coming out now. Yeah. The thing that Ozzy has said about Watt is he's always amazed at how fast Watt works. And Ozzy would say in years past, it would take them so long to make a record. But Watt gets together with Chad Smith and Robert Trujillo and Duff McKagan and the late Taylor Hawkins. And they just get together and they jam and they write a bunch of songs and they say, hey, let's make an Ozzy song. And they bring him to Ozzy and, and they're good. And he's really good 
good at just pulling the right people together and finding the right backdrop for whoever he's working with. And it works. It's so good. There's that classic Ozzy solo sound that was on like Blizzard of Oz or Diary of a Madman. And you can hear that on a song like Patient Number Nine. But there's also some cool Sabbath moments. And I really just fell in love with hearing Tony Iommi and Ozzy Osbourne together again from Black Sabbath playing on No Escape From Now. Like they just did this fantastic song that could be a Sabbath song, but it also just fits perfectly on an Ozzy album. It should not be forgotten that the late Taylor Hawkins was pretty involved with this album Yeah, as he well. helped write a couple of the songs on here. He played drums on a lot of it. There's one song where both he and Chad Smith, and they were very good friends, are both playing drums on it, and they take over from each other. One of the things that he contributed that was great was on Degradation Rules. He wrote the funniest line on the record, which is Degradation Rules. It's a song about Ozzy. Anyway, there's a line on there called Red Tube Rules. There's, there's a little bit of pornography in the song, and Taylor did that, and they were all just convincing Ozzy, say the word, and it was just really funny. My favorite song on there that Taylor helped out on is God Only Knows, which is just like the perfect power ballad, the perfect Ozzy power ballad, and Ozzy's just looking at the state of the world, which he, he's done so well over the years. It's a very moving song, and it's heavy and hard enough to feel like an Ozzy song, and it's, I think it's one of the best things he's done. And number one, the band is Soul Glow and the album is Diaspora Project. Yeah, and Soul Glow, as we've been talking about, they're maybe not like a metal band by the truest sense of the phrase, like the original Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Motley Crue idea of what heavy metal is. But they do have that sort of aggression and intensity of metal, and they do turn it into something new that you've never heard before. Also drawing from elements of punk and hip hop and just different like callbacks to things. Like you can hear a little bit of It Takes Two on the song Coming Correct is Cheaper. And it's just it's a really deep textured album that goes a lot of interesting places because a lot of it addresses the idea of just being a bunch of black Americans growing up in Philly and trying to make art, what that feels like for them. And it's an album that's never boring. My First frame of reference, weirdly, was an actual hip-hop group, Death Grips. It, that's what it reminded me superficially, although not nearly as, not actually rap, but just in Death Grips, achieves their sound mostly with electronics. But something about the intensity of the music combined with the vocals just evoked like a live band Death Grips in some weird way yeah, for me. Yeah, there's an anxiety throughout the whole album that I think that probably both Soul Glow and Death <laughs> Grips share. And it's totally compelling you, you can't it's a very hard record to stop if you're listening to it and you want to move on to something else you don't want to just because there's this vibration to it that you're describing and that is our episode rolling stone music now will be back next week download us wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts please leave us five stars on apple Podcasts and spotify and maybe a nice review on apple Podcasts. That's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.